we're going to have a bit of fun. Is that okay? Can we talk about controversial things? It's not too controversial, but it's a little controversial. We've been doing a bit of a question and response kind of a thing uh, over the last few weeks. Uh, Levi's had a little QR code up there. You can scan it, put some questions in. And we've had a ton of questions come in, particularly at the 6 p.m., which is pretty cool. And I thought I had a look through them. And I thought there's a few with a similar train of thought. And it was to being a little bit on my heart. I thought, why not try and give a response to some of these questions now? I'm only young-ish, so if I'm wrong on this, forgive me. Uh, Here's some of the questions that have been coming in in this train of thought. Things like, how do I uh, respect someone who I don't necessarily agree with what they believe? Or how do I respect someone who's going to make choices without compromising my integrity or my beliefs? Uh, How do I, you know, not judge people who disagree with what I think, how do I redeem relationships that were broken because of this? This train of thought of how do I approach people who don't necessarily live the same lifestyle as me, who don't think the same way as me, who don't believe the same things as me? And I've, I've thought about this. I've, I don't think there's one way to answer any of these questions because these are like context-specific kind of questions. Like there's a reason these questions are being asked it's because we've approached the situation and we actually don't know what to do with it um, because it's so different from the way we might view the world. And that's why I've titled this response, how do we approach sin in the world? Stay with me on the word sin, please. We're going somewhere with it. I know for me, um, growing up, I decided to follow Jesus not because I was a bad boy or because my life was full of sin, which it, it was. It was full of decisions that were not taking me upwards. They were taking me downwards very quickly. Uh, they were very self-destructive. I decided to follow Jesus because, i move this, I discovered that Jesus actually had a bigger, more fulfilling life for me than the one I was choosing to live at the time. And uh, so I decided to follow Jesus. And after a few months, I then figured out if I actually wanted to experience the full life that Jesus had for me, I had to change some things because changing nothing didn't work out. Uh, and so I began to change some things in the only way that I knew how. And that was to cut off sin. That was what my young understanding of me changing my life would be. So for me, that was ghost everyone from my old life. Every relationship, every friendship, every opportunity to go somewhere where I might make a bad choice, cut it off completely, just go cold turkey. And that had some great results in my life. I began to pursue Jesus more. Uh, I broke lots of bad habits. I was completely sober for many years, which was, for me at the time, a massive thing, uh, particularly around alcohol. And my language changed. And even to this day, this is like 10 years later, I'm still reaping the rewards of the decisions I made then. But there was a price that I had to pay. I actually lost nearly all of those relationships with friends, with some family members uh, that I had in that time. And I really valued some of those. It's taken me years to restore trust and the closeness with my best friend, who I've known since I was four. It's like a, tw- what's, what's a mass? It's like a tw- nearly 25 year relationship with my best friend. And it's, I nearly lost that in that moment. I, I think the biggest thing I missed is I missed the opportunity to walk the journey of Jesus changing my life with the people in that, in that world. And maybe that's why I'm so passionate about this concept of how we approach sin, quote unquote, in our world is because I did it a certain way. 
And while it worked really well for me, looking back, if I had some hindsight, knowing what I know now about how we can choose to live a better life, I'd do it completely differently. I would do it in a way that brings people on the journey. And that's what I want to talk about when it comes to this idea of approaching sin. First things first, let's talk about the sin, the sin word, right? Uh, There is a a really commonly held belief that sin's a bit of a dirty word for Christians, right? It's a word that's like got really negative connotations about it. Um, I've heard people say, you know, it's a a Christian slur to call someone a sinner. It's like abusing someone to go out there and say, you're a sinner because of whatever choice they decide to make. Has anyone ever heard it used like that before? Yeah, it's pretty common. And the world would have us believe that it's a bit like this. Um, That understanding of sin you know, there's, there's different levels to it, right? Like lying to your parents isn't so bad when you compare it to car theft or selling drugs, right? Right? Well, not, I just lied to my parents about where I was, but I didn't steal a car, right? That's okay. I don't know. I don't know. See, I think that this is a bit of an inaccurate definition of sin, but it's so commonly held. We have to break this because this understanding of what sin is is actually really harmful to the way we as Christians interact with the world. It has some really unintended consequences like us feeling pressured like we're not allowed to sin, that we have to have it all right, that we've got to have it all figured out. Then we start to put all these unrealistic expectations on ourselves and then when we do make a decision that we might view as sinful... We can fall apart over it. I've seen it happen. And the other side of it is, when you do think you've got it all figured out, whether you're conscious of it, whether it happens subconsciously, you put yourself on a pedestal, you start looking down on other people. That's what I did. When I cut myself off from my old life, I became the righteous person. I became like some of the people in some of the scriptures we're going to look at tonight, looking down on the people in my life. And we have to do this a different way. I'm convinced that as the church, as the next generation of the church, we've got we to think about this. We have to get some ideas out there and some practicalities of how we approach people that think and live differently to us, or we're going to lose everyone. And that's a bit of a problem. So I've heard this concept. It's used in leadership a bit, but I think it applies here. We can't hold people to a standard that they haven't signed up for. We can't tell people who don't know any better, right, that they should know better. If they don't know any better, they don't know any better. So I think the place, good place to start is this. What would Jesus do? Who's who's born in the 90s or even the 80s, you might have heard, what would Jesus do? Who remembers the rubber wristbands? Oh, great, we're not too old. (laughs) Hey, look, this is a cliche place to start, but like as Christians, do we not believe that Jesus is the perfect example, that he's the clearest picture of God that we're going to get, that if we want to figure out what God thinks about something, we should look at Jesus, right? What would Jesus do? Um, Let's look at a few scenarios in Scripture of what Jesus did when he approached people that probably didn't think the same way he did, live the same way he did, make decisions based on uh, the life that he had for them. And before we go there, we got to just remember that when we look at Scripture, it's not just a cool story. It's not just saying what happened, but the arc of Scripture is to help us understand who God is more and more, right? And along the way, discover ways that we can live our lives in ways that reflect and honour who Jesus is. So as we look at the, we're going to look at two stories in Scripture, two stories from the Gospels. Try and see yourself 
in the story. There's a few different characters in each of them. Try and see yourself in the story because that's what will bring the real revelation, the, the life change that we are all chasing. So let's start in John chapter 8. Uh, this is a, let's crack this, let's, this is a pretty common story. If you don't know about this, think about it. Just think about it in the context as you read through it. John chapter 8 verse 8. Jesus has returned to the Mount of Olives. It's a mountain. But early the next morning, he was back again at the temple. Uh, a crowd soon gathered. He sat down and he taught them. And as he was speaking, the teachers of the religious law and the Pharisees, that's the first lot of characters, they brought a woman who had been caught in the act of adultery. And they put her in front of the crowd. Teacher, they said to Jesus, this woman was caught in the act of adultery. And the law of Moses, now that's the law of the Israelites of the day, right? If you want to know what the law of Moses is, you can read Leviticus and Deuteronomy and books like that in the Old Testament. You can see all of this. Uh, they say the law of Moses says to stone her. What do you say, Jesus? And they're trying to trap him into saying something they could use against him. At this point, they don't like Jesus. They really want to get rid of him. They're looking for any reason to discredit him. Uh, but he gets down in the dirt and he writes with his finger. And they kept demanding an answer. So he stood up and he said, all right, but let the one who casts, or let the one who has never sinned throw the first stone. And they stood down again and wrote in the dust. When their accusers heard this, they slipped away one by one, beginning with the oldest, until only Jesus was left in the middle of the crowd with the woman. And then Jesus stood up again and said to the woman, Where are your accusers? Didn't even one of them condemn you? No, Lord, she said. And Jesus said, Neither do I. Go and sin no more. First things first, sin. It's used in this story a few times. We talked about an unhelpful way of thinking about sin. Here's a more helpful way. Scripture talks about sin in the sense that sin is anything that causes you to focus away from God. Anything that distracts you from what God would have for your life. And I think this is really helpful to remember when we're reading this story. Is this understanding of sin, is that of anything that pulls us away from God, helps us lose focus on God, it actually levels the playing field because suddenly there's not levels to sin anymore, yeah. right? We see this really clearly in the story, right? This lady is caught in the act of adultery, okay? If we use our old understanding of sin, we're like, oh yeah, that's pretty bad, right? That's pretty bad. And the Jewish law of the day says that if you're caught in the act of adultery, if you commit adultery, we get to throw rocks at you until you die. All right, and she's not just caught by anyone. She's taught by the people who teach that. I feel like they might be extra zealous as the teachers. They're like, yeah, we just throw some rocks today, guys. Now, they bring her to Jesus for his judgment, but he actually turns the situation on its head. He begins to use this new concept of sin is that anything that helps us lose focus from God and levels the playing field. The Pharisees and the, the uh, religious teachers are there on this pedestal looking down on this woman going, yeah, she's done wrong. She's got to pay. And Jesus says, actually, if you've never sinned, you can throw the first stone. It's like taking a sledgehammer out under that pedestal. Suddenly they all fall. They're all on the same level playing field. And suddenly they don't have a leg to stand on. And so they leave. And it just leaves Jesus and this woman and now he's there. We know Jesus was a perfect man. He's God in, in a human body. He's got every right to judge, yeah? He's perfect. He hasn't sinned. So he should be picking up the first rock, according to the Pharisees. But he actually takes it one step further and he says, go 
and sin no more. I don't condemn you. I don't judge you for what you've done, but I'm calling you to live a better life. Wow. Like that is mind-blowing for the day. And I just love that. That's how Jesus calls us to live. Not as the accusers on the pedestal, but as those that would encourage people to rise, to move on from them, whatever choices they've made, to move on from that and go and live a better life. That's who we're called to be. Here's another scenario. Luke 19. Uh, a little bit later in Jesus' journey. And he enters Jericho, was passing through. I'm going to paraphrase this. This is a bit. The story of Zacchaeus. Zacchaeus is this guy. He is the chief tax collector uh, for the area. Now, pretty prestigious role. You're the boss of everyone who's collecting money. Pretty cool, right? Not to the Israelites. They hate tax collectors. Tax collectors were a symbol of oppression from the Roman Empire. These guys weren't just like, you know, the ATO collecting a tax to fund roads and hospitals. These guys are collecting money for the Roman Empire so that the Roman Empire could pay soldiers to oppress you. Okay, they're not very popular people. So he's the boss of the not very popular people, which I'm sure puts him in a really great position. Now, it turns out he's also short, which really doesn't help. So he's got to climb this tree to see who Jesus is. Jesus is coming in, there's people everywhere. And I can't imagine what it's like to be Jesus. Like you're walking through the crowds and then all, suddenly you're like, there's a guy in a tree. Right? Obviously catches Jesus's eye. And Jesus decides that he, he says to Zacchaeus, get down from the tree, we're having dinner. Pretty cool. Zacchaeus is probably not expecting that. Uh, and neither are the people because the people say, that Jesus, he's going to eat at a house of a sinner and not the rest of us. He's a random dude in a tree and not only is he a sinner, he's a chief of the tax collectors and we don't like him. So they start to mutter. And then Zacchaeus stands up and says to Jesus, look, Lord, here and now, I give half of my possessions to the poor. And if I've cheated anyone out of anything, I'll pay back four times the amount. And Jesus says to him, today salvation has come to this house because this man too is the son of Abraham. For the son of man came to seek and to save the lost. It's like the pe- Jesus is there. And the people, I don't know, I can't imagine just being the people who are like, that's a sinner. He's a sinner. And Jesus says, now nah, that man's saved. On one sentence, right? And it's, I don't know. Like, Zacchaeus just says he's giving away his stuff. That's it. And Jesus is like, you are saved. You are loved by in the eyes of God. That's what son of Abraham is. Like you are a son of God's people. You're part of God's people. And all he's done is give away his stuff. We don't even know what Zacchaeus' life was like. But I can imagine if he's the chief of the people who aren't liked very much, he's got loads of money, he's probably not into some great things. And the only thing he says is I'm giving away my money. And Jesus says, yep, that's enough. That's enough for me. It's because Jesus sees more than those people. Remember, level playing field, Right? He sees the heart of Zacchaeus, and it's, it's just one decision Zacchaeus makes that I, I can imagine if you were loaded, right, selfish, self-focused, and you decide to give all your money away to poor people, that's a decision that's going to bring life to other people. That's a decision that's going to bring life to yourself because suddenly you see people as valuable. If you're going, I'm going to give away everything I have, and I'm going to pay people back that I robbed, you see people as valuable. That's the change we see in Zacchaeus, and Jesus' response is to simply celebrate it. He doesn't go, well, Zacchaeus, that's a pretty good start. There's a bit more you've got to fix. There's a bit more at home, but no, that's enough. The heart change is enough for Jesus. So let's look at these two stories. There's a few observations we want to make, how we can approach 
sin, how we can approach people who don't think the same as us, how we can approach people who make decisions that are different from ours, how we can approach them in our world. Firstly, Jesus, as God, has more right to judge and condemn than anyone here, than anyone out there, yet he doesn't. He has perfect opportunity to sit on the pedestal above everyone else, but instead he chooses to knock it down. So why do we judge and condemn people? Why do we look at people and go, oh, that's a pretty poor choice. That's going to turn out badly. Yeah, I wouldn't do that if I was you. That's, gonna, that's really going to hurt tomorrow. Well, why do we do it? Why do we judge and condemn people when we're all humans? None of us are perfect. We've all got an area of our life that could be improved. We've all got an area in our life that we could draw closer to God in. But we're out there judging, condemning. Why do we do that? Jesus sees people as they are, a human created in the image of God. And I love this because even in the story, the people, Zacchaeus, the woman, they're given labels. The woman is, quote, the woman caught in adultery, right? Zacchaeus is the chief tax collector. They're given labels. Um, Yet even like the other, there's so many stories in the Gospels, the people who are sick, they're like the man with leprosy, the blind man, uh, the, the poor lady. Like these people are given labels, Yet in every story, Jesus never uses the label. He always looks past that and sees the person that God created them to be. Wow. Good stuff. And I think, imagine what the world would be be like if 50% of us got a hold of that thought and saw people pass the label that we might want to give them. These people, this is another observation, this is the first time these guys encountered Jesus, right? They weren't part of the disciples walking with him, okay? Keep this in mind. He knew that these people hadn't signed up to the standard that he was bringing. When I say standard, I just mean the new way of living, the new way of thinking about who God is. They, he knew that they hadn't uh, grasped that concept yet. He knew that they didn't know any better. And so he didn't hold them to that standard. He simply met them where they were at and took them on the journey forward. And if you think about the journey of concept, the concept of journey, not the journey of concept, the concept of journey, right? If I'm driving from here to Dolby in my car and I look over my shoulder, not even the rearview mirror, I just look over my shoulder the whole way, am I going to make it to Dolby? Has anyone ever looked over their shoulder while they're driving? You tend to go a bit off the road, right? (laughs) From experience, okay? Our life journey is the same. If we want to move forward, if we want to move forward in our destination, but we spend our whole time looking over our shoulders or being told to look over our shoulders, we are going to struggle to move forward in life. So when Jesus encounters these people on their journey, he doesn't say, hey, well, woman caught in adultery. I know you just got caught in adultery, but you can't be committing adultery anymore. He just says, nah, that's all good. I don't condemn you. Go and sin no more. He doesn't ask Zacchaeus to look back and be like, okay, you've given some of your money away but you better go and apologise to those people. Like, he, just, he doesn't ask him to look back. He just says, all right, go forward. Go forward. Salvation's come. Go and sin no more. He, brings, he doesn't bring back the past mistakes. He doesn't go, hey, you need to fix that problem. He just says, all right, go forwards. Look forwards. When we look forwards in our journey, we can actually move forward. And when we call people to look forwards in our journey, they can too can move forward. And if that's how Jesus approached sin... In his world, if that's how he approached people that didn't know any better, I think we can do the same, right? And it's easier than you think. Maybe a coworker. <clears throat> There's a lot of hot social topics right now, right? 
And I'm sure a lot of people have a ton of opinions. So when a coworker brings up an opinion with you and starts to share, um, maybe this looks like not telling them that they're wrong straight away. Maybe this looks like not trying to convince them otherwise immediately. You know, if someone starts a conversation with their answer, uh, you're not going to change their mind in that conversation. Instead, why don't you hear them out? Why don't you ask them how they came to that conclusion? Keep the conversation going with them and you never know. An opportunity to speak life into that. They, they might have some wild opinions, but that's okay. That's just how they think. If you engage it and you walk the journey with them, you might find opportunity to actually speak life into that. You might find opportunity to share how you feel and you never know where that could go. Hey, maybe you've got a friend that loves to make good decisions on the weekends. And when I say good, I don't mean good, I mean decisions, right? And you know how they're going to turn out for that person. Have you ever tried to tell them how poorly it's going to turn out only for them to go and make that same decision? When people are set, people are set. Maybe it looks like not telling them how it's going to turn out and just, good for you, man. But being there for them when that decision goes poorly. Being there for them when they start to realise, hang on, the way I'm living is not ideal. I want to live a better life. If you can walk the journey with someone, not judging them, not condemning them for the decisions they're making, but at the same time, you're not engaging in it. You're not telling them it's a good idea. You're just walking the journey with them. And you're loving them and supporting them. You're not coming from a moral high ground. You're coming from that, I love you and I want to see the best for you. You're going to find opportunities to, once again, speak life into and build relationship. And they're going to be looking at your life as it trajectory, is that the right word? Trajects upwards. It goes upwards, continues growing. They're going to see that and be like, hang on a minute. There's probably some merit in what this, what this person's doing. I need to ask them about it. Live your life as an example. Don't talk the example. Good English. Hey, Choose to build an in, uh, intentional relationship with the people in your world that you aren't that close to because of these reasons. Choose to spend time with them. When you're spending time with them, you don't have to do what they're doing to build a relationship with them. You can simply be there, talking with them, building a relationship with them. Hang out on their turf. They can hang out on your turf too, right? Maybe their thing is going to a house party. Maybe your thing's having a coffee. Why not do a bit of both? You don't have to engage in the behaviours of people to be in the same room as them. Celebrate the small wins along the way, like just what Jesus did with Zacchaeus. Now, Zacchaeus didn't change everything about his life, neither did the woman in adultery, but he celebrated that small step they both took leading to the better life. Who's heard the saying, Rome wasn't built in a day? Right? It wasn't. And neither was anyone's, let's go, great, I'm going to use that, quote-unquote, Everyone's journey is a series of small steps on small steps on small steps on small steps leading to this big thing we call life. Encourage the small ones in the right directions because you never know for that person that could be a massive step forward. So walk the journey with people and encourage them to rise. Like they might ask your opinion on it. Don't be afraid to say, look, I don't necessarily agree with what you're doing. You're not, but I wouldn't tell them you're wrong. Well, that's one way to get on the bad foot. But if they say, hey, what do you think about this decision I'm going to make? Don't be afraid to say, well, look, I don't actually agree with that. And here's why. And it's not, you're not going to whip out the Bible and Bible bash them. But if you're like, look, I just don't see how that's healthy. I don't see how that's going to uh, lead to a good outcome for you in your workplace. I don't see how that's going to lead to people respecting and loving you more or you loving and respecting others more. That, those are life things. People don't have to be Christians and devout followers of Jesus to get that. 
Everyone wants to live a better life. Everyone wants to live a life that's fulfilling. Those are decisions that can lead to that, whether you know Jesus or not. I'm certainly not perfect at this. I mean, I'm better than I used to be. I was the, I was the Pharisee. I was waiting for the opportunity to point people out how wrong they were. But I can testify to the fact that since I began to view people in this, this kind of a light, it hasn't made my world smaller. It's actually made my world larger. It's regained trust back in the relationships that I'd broken. That, that relationship I had with my best mate, the guy didn't even want to talk to me because every time we did, I'd find a reason to judge him. And that's, no one wants to be around a person like that. But as I started treating him with respect, seeing him as Jesus did, as a guy on a journey, and just loving him right where he was at, being there for him, we're as close as we ever were. Now, I don't see him here tonight in church. That's okay, because he's making better choices than he ever has. And we get to celebrate them all the time. And I just believe in that journey is going to continue going in that trajectory. You know, I can encourage you, like when you think about people and you see people as Jesus saw people, your world is going to get bigger. Uh, and you'll begin to understand who Jesus is, what his love for you is like in a whole new way. For me, it sort of became three-dimensional as opposed to just hearing about it. Can you imagine what your life or your world or your community would look like if you took a hold of this? Like your workplace. This stuff can spread. Love spreads. If you go into your workplace loving and uh, respecting people, you never know. You love and respect one person. They realise they can love and respect another. can change the atmosphere of a room. So here's some questions to help us think about this. When have you judged someone for the decision they've made? When have you stood on the pedestal and looked down on someone for what they're doing? Can you think of a moment like that? Maybe you need to see them the same way Jesus does. Who do you need to see the same way Jesus does? Maybe you see some people as Jesus does and others you're sort of getting on the stairs to the pedestal. Who do you need to see in a different light? Maybe it's friends, family, people you work with, people you've just seen on the street. How can you encourage those people in your world to rise? How can you get on the journey with them and encourage them to take steps of life? Think about that stuff. And one for us, where's Jesus calling you to rise? What's your next step? Where's the next step towards life for you? It's all well and good, us approaching others, but let's journey with Jesus as well. Let's go on the journey with others. Let's go on the journey ourselves. Why don't we get, uh, stand up? We're going to pray. But as we pray, let's be intentional. Maybe there's a face in your mind or a circumstance, a scenario that you'd love to see a better outcome in. Why don't you picture that and really believe as we trust Jesus that He's going to create opportunities for us, eh? Jesus, thanks so much that You love us, that You see us as who we are, and that's just human beings created in the image of God for a relationship with God. Thank You that we have the opportunity to see people as you see us. Thank you that you're going to help us as we go out into our week, see people in a new light. Give us a new lens, a new filter of how we see the people in our world, how we see the people around us. Whatever their decision making looks like, whatever their life looks like, Lord, help us see them with your love and help us take the appropriate actions to practically outwork that in our worlds. Hey, maybe you're here tonight. While we're standing, we're going to keep our eyes closed and our heads bowed. Maybe you're here tonight and I talked about seeing yourself in the story. Maybe you've seen yourself in the story as someone on the outside. Maybe you saw yourself in the story as one of the main characters, someone who might have been choosing to take that next step of life. Wherever you saw yourself in the story, maybe wherever you are on your journey, 
And Jesus is exactly who I've talked about Him being tonight. The guy that sees you, the God that sees you exactly as you are, despite your past, despite what choices you've made, despite what things look like, He doesn't care. He's not fussed on that stuff, but He sees you and He loves you for who you are.